0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management.
1: Navigating the journey called life doesn't get any easier as we move through it, but we can learn from what we have within us to make it more enjoyable in the long run welcome to mental sherpa by theta spring your host is alexandra ginelli in our program we set out to provide you with the undiscovered wisdom within you to handle even life's bumpy spots now here is the host founder and practitioner of theta spring alexandra ginelli
2: welcome everybody this is alexandra ginelli your host on the mental sherpa show Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart as an animal uh, owner. We're going to be talking about animals and the integral part that they play in our lives, but also the integral part that we play in theirs. You know, I've been hearing more and more about therapy animals and service animals and how they've really become to help people in their lives, to help them treat anxiety and stress. But animals also have their own traumas that they've been going through. And while therapy is very prevalent for humans, what we're going to be talking about today is someone who is a pioneer in the field of really helping understand animal behaviors and who's been working on a study to really help it so that animals in the world don't have to suffer an imminent death because their behavior has gotten them into trouble. And joining me today on the line is Dr. Nicholas H. Dodman. So Welcome, Dr. Dodman, to the show.
3: Oh, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Um,
2: yeah, it's a pleasure. I was hoping that you could start by just telling my listeners a bit about who you are and what it is that you are doing. That's so okay. integral.
3: Well, um, a number of things. Um, you know, years ago I got interested in animal behavior. Um, probably the last quarter century of my Life and almost half my veterinary life, so I'm a veterinary behaviorist, and I always thought, and still do today, that you know, if veterinarians um, love or have deep affection for animals and want to alleviate suffering, then the study of animal behavior um, is paramount because there are so many millions of pets who are surrendered the nation's shelters and pounds each year it's a horrible expression but an annual holocaust of perfectly healthy animals They're being put down and uh, as a matter of fact just to give you a couple of figures um, three times as many animals die as a result of behavior their owners find unacceptable untenable right. as died cancer and cancer is the leading medical cause of death in dogs um, And in fact, more animals die indirectly as a result of behavior their owners cannot tolerate or don't understand um, than all the infectious diseases put together.
2: That's incredible and so unfortunate. So if
3: you're you're a vet and you want to help animals, you know, behavior is a good place to start. And, uh, you know, I've been studying it for a number of years and written lots of papers about how to treat this condition and that condition, written some books. And right now, I'm involved in a pretty serious study with a group called the Center for Canine Behavior Studies, and we're looking very closely into the relationship between pets and people to see what makes it, what makes the relationship work and what makes it not work, so we know where to fix it with the long-term goal of saving pets' lives.
2: That's incredible, and I know for me, this is a really important field. I know that I myself have a a rescue Australian Shepherd who came with a great deal of anxiety um, from down. He was at a home down south with a family, and they were really treating him badly. That the family next door actually had called uh, animal control a couple times on them, and. Finally, I guess he got loose in a hurricane and animal control picked him up and he, the family came to get him and they gave him the bill and they said, you know what, we don't want to pay the bill, keep him." And, you know, it's been working on some of his issues that he's come with uh, and they're not issues, they're certainly behavior, they make sense in some ways, Um, but I love that you're doing this and I know that my heart really just applauds you for the work that you've been doing. So, thank you from me to you. What? Yeah. How did you get, what was the beginning for you? Did you always know that you wanted to be a veterinarian? Um, What's a little bit of your history and how you got into the field of veterinary science?
3: Well, I think it was really um, some influence, serious influence from my mom, who was sort of the the local neighborhood, St. Francis of Assisi, um, everyone would bring her their animals that were in distress, you know, birds that had fall out of their nest, uh, injured animals they found on the side of the road. I said, you know, Gwen, will help them. And I was, you know, party to it as a youngster with wide eyes looking on, and I saw her helping animals. I saw her living not just feeding birds, but living within the flock. I mean, they all had names, the outdoor wild birds. And she said, oh, Mr. Chaffinch, he's coming in. He'll be here soon. And I wonder where his wife is. And she knew them all kind of personally. She was actually two uh, wild birds in England, what, you know, Diane Fossey was to gorillas or Jane Goodall sure. was to chimps living within the group and understanding them. It always surprised me when I was at veterinary school to come home and walk into the kitchen and see you know, a blackbird sitting on the kitchen counter pecking at some uh, some meat that she would chopped up for it, or sometimes they would actually perch on her.
2: That's incredible. And, so you've really been raised in that kind of environment
3: to behave yeah, so, in mean, a certain just, way around you know, animals. It was natural for me to think that they had feelings, um, that they could be become upset or become angry and, you know, I know these days people say, well, that's anthropomorphizing I would, you know, care to disagree than that and they do have feelings and emotions um, from birds to dogs and cats and sometimes they get themselves in a bit of a twizzle and have some psychological problems whether it's bad memories like in the case of your Aussie that you know stay with them and haunt them and they can have you know sort of psychological disturbances that are in many ways similar to our own and even psychiatric conditions that that run parallel to humans.
2: Sure. And I I think what's interesting about your study, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about, is I guess the first question that comes to mind is, how did this study come about? Um, Because it sort of branched off from what you've done uh, at Tufts. Is that correct?
3: Um, A little bit. You know, I had thought about it before, and I did a study many years ago. I wanted to see, um, you know, what factors uh, in terms of human personality affected certain conditions. You know, for example, it was widely sort of touted that people who live in families who have dogs who bite them um, are generally sort of cream puff individuals who are kind of very soft-hearted, sort of overly kind, overly anthropomorphic, you know, sort of softies, not a bad kind mm-hmm. of person, but either way, those were the ones who were the victims. And then it was also said by trainers that dogs with fear aggression that is aggression to strangers, people they don't know, lunging on the lead. Some people call it leash aggression. That if you are nervous, that your dog will pick up on that uh, nervousness through the lead, uh, which is like a telegraph wire, telegraphing your anxiety to the dog. And, you know, there's another couple of behaviors we studied too, but without going on and on, I decided to use a human sort of psychological tool called the Cursey Temperament Sorter. and did a little study, and it produced some results that actually were in the direction of what people thought. Some of them were just about significant, uh, statistically speaking, some were bordering on significant. It was kind of a study that like, needs more work. And it turns out the Kersey Temperament Sorder, which is an abbreviated version of the Myers-Briggs uh, mm-hmm. personality uh, test, uh, is uh, not really the right tool to use, <clears throat> I learned after the fact. And so I got together with a psychologist at Tufts, uh, Dr. Marty Zelen, he said, no, you really should use the California personality inventory, the CPI. So we did another study looking at similar behaviors with that. That's a 400 question, forced answer questionnaire that people wow. kindly filled in for me and we compared again. And again, we found very similar things close, but, um you know, sort of only half a cigar, it wasn't quite there. So I'd always wanted to do more studies. And at the same time, I was aware of another guy, Dr. James Serpel, or Serpel, I think he calls himself, down at the University of Pennsylvania. He's a PhD animal behaviorist and welfareist, And I saw him doing studies on personalities of owners and um, various breeds of dogs and situations and aggressive springers and so on. I thought, wow, he's doing the same kind of thing, and he's doing a very nice job. Wouldn't it be nice one day to team up with him and to do you know, the final study with a huge number of people? And the Center for k and Behavior Studies came to me and you know, I, I talked with the group and the Simon Center that sort of underwrites it and underpins it. That's a shelter in Connecticut. And they said, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to run some studies. What would you like to do in the way of a study? Um, and i said well i 'd like to really work with Dr. Sapel and do this massive interactive study to find out what really makes things work and what may really makes things go wrong. What is it that owners do that negatively impacts their dog, what is it they do, and what is it about their personality that you know, has a, a deleterious effect on the dog?" And they said, that's a good idea. So I called Dr. Serpell, who's got an amazing questionnaire, a validated questionnaire called CBARC, Canine Behavior and Research Mm. Questionnaire. And I said, can we use this to evaluate dog personality and then do a couple of temperament tests on the people, I mean, personality evaluations. He said, well, he suggested that we use the TIPI, which is the 10-item personality inventory, just 10 questions that give you good insight into the way people are and then I added um, with advice from a psychologist at Tufts University, I um, think called the Emotional Reactivity Questionnaire. And then for good measure, we added um, a sort of a depression inventory, which Dr. Serpell wanted to add, and yeah. one about the use of aversive techniques. And we compiled this sort of hundred questions, which we think will, you know, with psychological you know, psychologist input, that we think really will finally shed light on that um, relationship, which is dyadic. It's between two. It's the dog and the owner and what the dog does and how that affects the owner and vice versa. So that study is now underway. We're about six months into it. We've collected hundreds of completed questionnaires. We're just about to go into the first phase of the analysis. And I can't wait to see what comes out Of this, when we shake it down and look at get all the statistics involved, what is it people do that's good, and what is it that's bad in terms of their interaction? What is it about them that impacts the relationship?
2: Well, it's it's interesting. You know, it's almost like your study should be the center should be renamed the Center for Canine and Human Behavioral Studies because there is such a component of one feeds the other in a lot of ways. So that I'm, it's quite interesting to hear. are most of the questions geared towards the owner or it was both on the animal and the owner?
3: Well, it's about 50-50 because there's 10 on the tippy um, Mm -hmm. personality thing. There's 10 on the emotional reactivity questionnaire. There's 10 on the uh, depression inventory. That's um, 30. Um, There's 42 on the dog's behavior. That's 72. Um, There's 10 on training methods and um, I forget what the balance comes out now but you know I'd, I'd say it's about 50-50 or 40-60 for a okay. person
2: and person to you dog. know we just have a few minutes here before we go into our break but was there is there something you're is there an expectation that you have to see within this data when it comes back or is there hope something that you're hoping to find
3: well there are some things that we sort of Um, hope to be able to prove and establish for once and forever Um, for example um, we firmly believe that uh, if you use um, aversive what I would consider almost to be abusive techniques of training the kind that you might see for example these days on television Mm. if you use choke chains and jerk on the choke chain to train your dog, if you use alpha rolls and pin them on their backs and stare into their eyes and act like a dog yourself to cause them to be submissive. If you become a physically dominant owner and insist on having a calm and submissive dog, that uh, usually leads to aggression. And we're going to put that baby to rest for good and for all. Numbers of other things, like the things I mentioned, whether people who are nervous can affect their dog's nervousness and you know, of course, if you know that you're having this effect, then there there are some things that you can do to shape up and uh you know put on a brave face uh and not feed into any problem that might be there. In fact, you could take an opposite tack. you can't change your personality, but you can change the way you interact with the dog.
2: Right. So, you know, it sounds like when we come back from the break, what we're going to begin to talk about is a little bit more of what you hope to share with people about the study, which it sounds like a lot of it is just pertinent information about how you as a person can become more aware with your animal. And not only are they going to help teach you some stuff about yourself, but how you can really help these animals create a shift in their behavior, too, to have a more harmonious relationship between the two of you.
3: Sure, and if anyone listening wants to locate the study, we've made it very convenient. It's just drdodman.org. Perfect. As opposed to the long title, you can just do drdodman.org, and they can read all about it and see if you want to get involved.
2: Wonderful, and we hope that you, our listeners, will get involved. So again, that's drdodman.org. And when we come back from the break, we're going to continue talking with Dr. Dodman about this wonderful study that he's doing. So we'll be right
3: back.
1: Visit the Theta Spring Hypnosis store to find out more about our home hypnosis programs and detox systems. Our hypnosis programs bring the power of our therapy to the comfort of your own home or on your mobile device. Our detox system has been formulated as the first ever mind and body detox. The burn and build body 14 day anti-aging detox kit is a food based detox that has an optional subconscious support program. Stay committed and create sustainable change while cleansing your body. Visit betaspring.com forward slash store. We have a special 15% discount for our listeners. Use promo code VA15 at checkout. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment.
4: Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person?
1: You are listening to Metal Sherpa by Theta Spring. To reach Alexandra Janelli or her guest on today's program, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to aginelli at thetaspring.com. Now, back to the Metal Sherpa Show.
2: Welcome back, everybody. This is Alexandra Janelli, your host on The Mental Sherpa Show. Today we're joined by Dr. Nicholas Dodman, who is one of the world's most noted and celebrated veterinary behaviorists, who's working on a very important study that we hope you'll all get involved in. Dr. Dobbin is working with the Center for Canine Behavior Studies to help understand how to begin to help animals and shift their behavior because their behavior is also comes as a direct result of how we as humans interact with them. And so we're going to continue with our discussion. We sort of broke down how the set, the study's working and, you know, what they're looking to do and prove. But I thought it would be interesting to really begin to understand the human and animal relationship, you know, everyone has a different perspective. Some people believe animals are supposed to be stay outside, dogs aren't allowed in the home. And other people let them on the couch, they let them in their bed. Um, so I would love to hear, Dr. Dodman, your take on, you know, how would you describe a relationship with an animal?
3: Um, well, I'm, uh, there's a way that I think it should be um, that may not be the same for uh, every single person. So, for example, if you were a, a hunter, um, a, a pastime um, I don't really uh, relish the uh, thought of um, killing animals for fun. But if you were and you had a working dog, um, that relationship would be a little bit different than a pet dog. If you were in the military and you had a bomb-sniffing dog or if you're in the police and you have a drug-sniffing dog, you know, the relationship's a little bit different. But if you just consider the pet dog, then um, basically I think um, it's kindness that uh, wins through in the end. So I have two amazing dogs. Um, both of them were rescues. Um, one came with a few anxious issues and the other came with... You almost become withdrawn, having been crated for 23 hours a day. Mm. Both of them have just blossomed like flowers. And the bottom thing, bottom line in the house is there really are no rules. I mean, they can do whatever they want. They sleep on the couch. They sleep on the bed. They get to eat when they want. Uh, they're never yelled at, never punished, never use a choke chain, get to run around a lot every day. Uh, and actually, they just become beaming, smiling, wonderful friends. I just got back from Florida, seeing my daughter down there, and when I came home after three days away, you know, my dog Rusty came up and he was just wriggling like a, you know, like a he was C-shaped, his whole body was shaking, and just so right. happy to see me. And Jasper immediately ran away and grabbed a toy and came. So, you know, there's just you can just feel the love, as Bernie would say, and. Um, and it's it's it goes both ways. So you know, I, I adore them, and they adore me and my wife. And it's just a big happy family. Uh, they would never bite me because I never give them any cause to think that I'm going to be doing anything bad. I wouldn't. You know, I could, but uh, there's no point. For example, in touching their food while they're eating it. I I could right. do it, I could do it just to be a jerk, I wouldn't do it, but I could put my hand in the food and fiddle around with it and they'd look, like, what are you doing? But I don't do that because that's uh, problematic, you know, in the end it can cause issues and, and some trainers will tell you, you have to be able to do that if you have a dog. Well, I can, but I wouldn't do it because it's a stupid thing you to don't
2: do. To, you don't need to provoke so, them. Yeah
3: they, yeah, they get to do anything and they become wonderful friends and the more bombastic and uh, sort of physically uh, abusive you become, the more you yell or lose control, you know, the more the dog doesn't trust you. And a lot of problems with dogs come from lack of trust, you know, breakdown of uh, the bond, and right. they never kind of know exactly what you're going to do from one minute to the next, and that can lead to aggression, which is the number one canine and feline behavior problem.
2: I have, You know, it, it's really interesting as you're speaking about your dog's I have I have a lot of people who have been talking about, you know, being a rescue dog owner. I hear a lot of people who also have rescue dogs who just say, you know, my dog, they just, being a rescue, have so much more appreciation and love for me as an owner. Would you, what have you seen that rescue dogs who do come around in their sort of anxiety treatment or whatever their behavioral issue might be, do you find that those dogs do you have a deep appreciation or is it just that they learn to trust in a new way? How would you sort of formulate how they might differ from a dog that you've had since a puppy?
3: Well, you know, I like to say my favorite breed is rescue because everyone should rescue a dog. Um, There's so many that are going the way of all flesh prematurely. There's a great need for adopters, um, people to save them from the uh, fate that they awaits them, uh, you know, 60 to 70% of dogs who go to shelters are put down. So, you know, people might hopefully think they might get adopted. I don't know that they sort of sit there and, um, you know, feel deep gratitude for being rescued. I think that's a sort of too deep a thought for a dog. But mm-hmm. they know that life was awful and they were confined in a cage in which their behavior will deteriorate over time and they'll become less and less adaptable the longer they spend in the kennel um, and then they come into a different situation sometimes to start with they're kind of blinking like you know, daylight's just arrived, they're blinking their eyes and they don't immediately realize what you've done for them but you know, gradually and sometimes in a severely abused dog it'll take a whole year for them to sort of gradually relax into the new environment and they just turn around and you're there and you're nice and life isn't like it used to be and I'm sure they appreciate their new life but I don't know they're thinking actively about you know the difference between what was and what is sure they remember that last life and they just say I had a terrible time for two or three years now I'm having a good time and I like this person that I'm with
2: Right, they're adapting I guess, right? It's all it adaptation takes a while to
3: undo damage sometimes, but they're not all damaged. Some dogs are brought there as puppies, not so common these days, but litters of puppies are dropped off and they haven't had any mistreatment, but the longer they spend in the kennel, the worse it is, especially if it's a critical period for learning. Um, Some dogs end up there because their owner dies or moves. Um, Some people drop their wonderful family dog off, an awful thing I heard the other day my daughter found it on the internet. A wonderful family dog, nine years old, been friends with the kids, grew up with the kids, nice to mum, nice to dad. But he's too old now. So who wants to adopt him, mm. uh, or drop him off at the shelter? There, there, there's about five or ten percent of dogs in the shelters are left there because they're quotes too old. And That's you can terrible. sometimes pick up a really very mellow, sweet dog from a shelter. You can also pick up a dog who's a little anxious or shy, or one that's in the middle of the road. Um, right. I mean, they all they're all different, and, and you know, to really evaluate them, you have to first of all, I guess, pay attention to what the, the shelter staff say because they're knowledgeable about the dogs that come through. Um, secondly, you need to do an evaluation yourself. Go out and spend time out of the shelter in a different environment and uh, interact with the dog and just see whether you make a good family together, and you know sometimes you can actually get some information that's you know the dogs are dropped off with, but that isn't always accurate. You know, like we're dropping right. them off because we're moving to Australia, and it may not be the truth.
2: Right, and it, you know it sounds a lot like animals, just like humans, the environment that they're raised in really does dictate the behavior of how they progress in their life.
3: So yeah, but but back to the study again, the fact is that different dogs will respond differently to a different type of owner. So if you take a condition like separation anxiety, which Mm -hmm. affects between 15 and 17% of the 70-plus million dogs in the United States, um, a dog from a shelter is quite likely programmed to have that. Uh, My dog, Rusty, did uh, originally. And with a certain type of owner, the anxiety about being left uh, gradually dissipates um, as it did with rusty and now i can leave him i don't like to leave him but i can leave him without any issue for him or for me but other people um because of some aspect of their personality seem to fan the flames of separation anxiety which then gets worse and worse over time until the dog is you know howling miserably refuses to eat um, might destroy things in the house or have accidents on the floor only when the owner's away and then that becomes a real problem for the owners so we will find out from the study um, what is it about these people you know is it that they're too sympathetic too empathetic do you know, have they got too much of a good thing should they really sort of um, s- sort of be a little bit more methodical and mechanical in terms of their interactions like instead of sympathizing on leaving Be more matter of fact. Like, hey, Rusty, you have to wait this time. Right. As opposed to, oh, you poor boy. Right, right.
2: Not to play into it necessarily. What are some signs of anxiety in a dog? Like, what could you look for? I know my dog does this sort of slinking look. He'll, like, kind of get Mm -hmm. these big, doughy eyes that he's getting anxious. He knows I'm leaving. Um, Yeah. what are some other things people can look for in their animal to notice that anxiety coming up?
3: Well, starting from nose to tail, um, you know, they will be, um, oftentimes they will lick their lips, which is an anxious sign, They're yeah. kind of rolling their tongue around, and they're glancing sort of furtively from side to side with the eyes sort of darting. Sometimes um, they might, in a frightening situation, they might even roll their eyes a little bit, so you see the white of their eyes, which is called whale eye, whale as in W-H-A-L-E. They will have a certain body posture, like typically they're more sort of hunched, like as opposed to standing upright and proud, they're more sort of tucked with head down and a little bit of an arch, and then going down to the back end, the tail um, is tucked, um They may, in an extreme situation, be panting um they may pace, they may vocalise uh they may whine mm-hmm. um and you put it all together, and it 's clear that the dog is you know anxious or distressed about something um You can even read sometimes um you know the the tail um people think sometimes dogs tails wag because they 're happy, and it 's not always sometimes they wag when they 're distressed.
2: Interesting. Are there but, particular bre- body posture. Yeah, are there particular breeds that are more prone to anxiety that you've found? Like big um, dogs versus small dogs or Well,
3: I, there are some breeds, you know, if I had to you know, label a, a general group, it would be sort of the herding dogs, because, and I believe the reason is that herding dogs were, you know, actually in herding you're not allowed to kill the sheep or whatever else you're... You can't maim or mutilate these animals that you're looking after. And ones that did were simply shot in the old days. And so the population has been selectively um, modified by us to not really have a tremendous amount of committal, which I think adds to a little bit of anxiety, So when we do studies, like one we did on thunderstorm phobia, it was an internet study, we found that 50% of all the dogs with thunderstorm phobia were either herding breeds or herding breed crosses. And, you know, the epitome for me would be, say, for example, the German Shepherd is a sheep herding dog. And I saw one just yesterday, and I said to the owner, she said, you know, is this typical for this breed to have um, this anxious issue? And I said, yep, I said, oftentimes, if I see a German Shepherd, I will know that I'm either seeing a dog who is fear aggressive to people, which is, you know, due to anxiety and, uh, right. and sometimes frank fear, or he has separation anxiety, or he has noise phobia, or he may have a compulsive disorder. Um, so th- those are the spectrum of conditions that I see in a German Shepherd, and it wouldn't be too dissimilar in other herding breeds. I didn't mean to be so rude about the German Shepherd, but...
2: No, no, um, that's quite all right. We just have a moment, uh, just a couple minutes here before the break. Do you... Is there a correlation? A lot of these herding breeds come up a little, if you buy into it, they're into the more intelligent of the dogs. Um, Does that play a role in sort of anxiety and the development of it?
3: Well, I think they are very um, kind of dependent on people. I mean, they were bred to work, um, with humans, you know, as partners, and Cheers. they are very reliant on us, um, to, for, you know, almost sort of dependent, um, and kind of read our signals. And as a result, you know, herding breeds are pretty, uh, relatively easy to train, uh, compared with, say, uh, a scent hound like a bloodhound, um, the police, uh, will choose. Uh, German Shepherds or Belgian Malinois typically as working dogs because they are so easy to train. And you can argue whether, you know, following your owner um, uh, implicitly like that is a sign of intelligence or, you know, something else. But uh, either way, they, they have this soft side, uh, not that you'd know it if you were on the receiving interference sure. from a German Shepherd, but... They they are sort of anxious and dependent, and they make wonderful family dogs. And if they have issues, it's with them out there, the the strangers. Right.
2: So again, it comes back to that human and animal interaction. That That's so interesting, just speaking with you about this. What we're going to do is we're going to actually take another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. Dodman about how you guys can get involved in the study and a little bit more on some takeaways uh, that can really help you have a better relationship with your animal. So... Again, my name is Alexandra Ginelli, your host here with Dr. Nicholas H. Dodman. And again, if you want to check it out before we come back from break, the website is drdodman.org. We'll be right back.
1: Visit the Theta Spring hypnosis store to find out more about our home hypnosis programs and detox systems. Our hypnosis programs bring the power of our therapy to the comfort of your own home or on your mobile device. Our detox system has been formulated as the first ever mind and body detox. The Burn and Build Body 14-Day Anti-Aging Detox Kit is a food-based detox that has an optional subconscious support program. Stay committed and create sustainable change while cleansing your body. Visit Betaspring.com forward slash store. We have a special 15% discount for our listeners. Use promo code VA15 at checkout.
0: Most of us have experienced the loss of a loved one, be it a friend or family member. There are all kinds of questions and emotional pain that we go through, but you can move on. Listen for From Morning to Morning with Rabbi Mel Glazer. It doesn't matter what faith you are, or if you even have no faith, you are sure to find meaning in Rabbi Mel's words and personal experience, as well as that of his guests. From Morning to Morning airs live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment.
1: You are listening to Metal Sherpa by Theta Spring. To reach Alexandra Janelli or her guest on today's program, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to aginelli at thetaspring.com. Now, back to the Metal Sherpa Show.
2: Welcome back, everybody. This is Alexandra Janelli, your host on The Mental Sherpa Show. We are joined by Dr. Nicholas H. Dodman, who is conducting a wonderful study with the Center for Canine Behavioral Studies. And Dr. Dodman is one of the world's most noted and celebrated veterinary behaviorists, and we've been talking with him about animal behaviors. What we're going to shift into now is, Dr. Dodman, could you give my listeners a little bit of information that can really help them begin to have better relationships, whether it's with a puppy or with their rescue dog, um, or if they adopt an older dog, some, just some tools and tips that can really help them?
3: Well, I don't mean this as a plug, but um, I wrote a book called The Well-Adjusted Dog. Yep. And um, really, uh, the subtitle was more important. Um, the seven steps towards a happy healthy well-adjusted dog and one thing for example people don't realize is that dogs need more exercise than most of us give our dogs we might to require just to be you know really mentally on best form and to be happy and satisfied um, they need two hours of running Running around, not not necessarily flat out, but up and down hills, and looking in bushes, and play fighting with each other, and interacting with other dogs. Two hours every single day. They're in tip top form. Um, diet is important too. A lot of people don't realise that, you know, a high protein diet can actually fan the fuels of um, uh, aggression. Uh, so. We make sure they have a sort of four-on-the-floor maintenance level of protein, not these high-protein diets that people think are so good for dogs, which can add to um, the behavior problem of aggression, the number one problem. We talk about clear communication in that book, and uh, it really helps to be able to communicate with your dog. If you imagine if you were dropped off in uh, downtown Tokyo without speaking a word of Japanese, it would be pretty stressful. But even just a few words, you know, My hotel's over here. Can you show me to my hotel? Where's the nearest bathroom? Just a few things, and you can be significantly less stressful. So I stress communication, and you can call it training, if you will, but using short, succinct um, words that mean something, you train the dog to mean something, not necessarily just sit down, stay, come, beg, or whatever. I mean, I can be walking down a path with my dogs, and I can say, Uh, let's go this way and they know and we get to the other end I say let's go home and they they know the word home so they turn around and grab a stick usually and come home so communication, opening up lines of communication. We're expert at the spoken language. Um, They don't do sentences so we have to talk very simply to them. They're experts at body language. We're Mm -hmm. not very good at that so you need the right signals and you need short, simple words. You also need to be a good leader, uh, which means being f- have fun with your dog. We call it the three Fs: have fun, but be fair. Always be fair, and and but be firm. But firm doesn't be mean being mean. Firm just means when you say something, you mean it, and you and you stick to your guns, without being sort of jerky. And we think environmental enrichment is a wonderful thing for dogs when they can't go out you can enrich the environment inside when they have to be left alone for example to make it more user friendly for the dog and you need to assuage dogs fears so if the dog that you have is fearful there are ways whether it's desensitization techniques or counter conditioning there are treatment methods by which you can minimize that fear and that doesn't involve exposing them to it in an uncontrolled way, which uh, too many people have been told is the right thing to do. You know, if your dog's frightened of people, bring him down to the shopping mall and, and introduce him to 2,000 people in one afternoon. That will actually make things worse. So but doing all those things, but most of all, um, like I said before, you be your dog's friend. Um, think like a dog. What would he like to be doing right now what might he be feeling if he's alone for four hours and how can i make that period of time better if you're thinking for your dog thinking like a dog and you are kind uh, considerate and provide for him in the ways that i just described you know you will end up with a good friend even if they start out a bit nervous or shy around you they'll grow to love you and that's a wonderful thing
2: Yeah, absolutely. I know I leave the radio on for my dog during the day just to have some noise um, as well. You had mentioned something when we were speaking um, in a conversation before we started the show, that dogs actually can read your retina, is that correct, or your pupils?
3: Um, Well, I mean, they are so attuned to our body language, that you really can't hide anything from a dog. You know, so just to give you one example, um, if a person is frightened of a dog, the dog will know that uh, just immediately. Um, you could stand perfectly still. You could say nothing. You could look towards the heavens. The dog will know that you're frightened of it. And actually, a dog who is fear aggressive will capitalise on that weakness of yours, your fear of him. They're much mm. more likely to be aggressive to somebody who's frightened of them. They sort of capitalize on that weakness. So what are they looking at? And they're looking at every single aspect. And I often, there was an old advert for some men's um, deodorant called uh, by Menon. Uh, and they used to say in the advert, you know, there was a guy going into an interview and you know he, he was looking very hot under the collar and they said, use Menon never let them see you sweat but right. a dog practically can see you sweat and can, can read you know even one of the signs of fear in a person would be change in size of the pupils in your eye and I can see it and I'm just a human I can look at a dog and I can see he's got a big pupil he's acting frightened so they can certainly see the size of your pupil so looking into your eyes they can tell from what way what, you're looking what you're doing the size of your pupil this person is anxious. This person is skittish. This person is frightened of me. They can read you like a book.
2: It's incredible what animals are able to notice and feel and sense around you. How what's the best way if you have a dog that is becoming aggressive with you, right? We've all been walking down the street or had a dog sort of on a leash charge at us or on a fence start barking at us. What is our best course of action as a human towards that?
3: A fearful dog, and the best thing to do is to ignore it. And I this happens to me all the time because uh, probably the most common condition that I have seen over the years is fear aggression, dogs who are frightened of strangers, usually men, um, sometimes children, usually boy children if it's children or men who are dressed in a certain way. And of course, wearing a white coat in a hospital situation is the white coat syndrome for animals too. So I am, you know, without, you know, I could be public enemy number one to a fear aggressive dog. So... If I walk into the room when the dog's there, I will walk in a curved path, I will not make eye contact with him, I will move to my desk and I will sit down uh, as quickly as I can. So basically, I'm using an avoidance technique and some people might say, do you not like dogs? And I say, yes, I love them, but I don't want to upset them. So after a while, they get used to me and then I suddenly rustle a bag of food treats then they come to me. That's fine. Walking down the street, of course, you don't have a chair you can sit down on, No. but you can you know, ignore the dog; he's behind a fence, and you walk past him like nothing's happened. You could look on the other side, act nonchalant, you know just be yourself, and he barks his head off. Well, the fact is you're going to disappear because you're walking past him, so he's going to think he achieved that goal, and he'll probably bark even harder at the next person. but it's the only way you can defuse them is not to try to make friends because that's actually the worst thing you could do is if you went to the fence and said it's all right, boy, you know oh, I'm your hi. friend. Hold out a hand to be sniffed. Mm, not good,
2: okay, so just ignore the dog completely as much as you and can yeah
3: you know, if they're free, you know and you're walking along and you see a dog running towards you, it's probably best to you know turn sideways um become stationary like a make like a tree, and you could if you had an article of clothing, you could take it off just in case the dog jumped at you so that you can offer that for him to bite instead of you
2: sure. That's great advice. Um, Dr. Dobbin, I know that this study is really based around dogs, but you do a lot of work with other animals too, is that correct?
3: Yes, I see some cats, they don't bring enough cats really because people don't like to, to put cats in carriers and put them in cars and drive them to the vets unless it's absolutely necessary for a rabies vaccine. And a lot of people don't realize their cat has issues because, you know, cats don't bark their head off and disturb the neighbors and they don't you know, cause tremendous damage and uh, you know, so there are some serious problems I get to see those but there should be more people would bring cats in to see me but I do see um, a fair number of cats, we had one in today um, and, and sometimes they're fighting, two cats fighting in the house is a common one or cats who are not using the litter box Spraying. cats who are yep. urine marking and so on uh, cats with compulsive disorders who are Stripping out their fur till they're bald like a bladder, or ones that have um, strange eating disorders and so on. We see them. Uh, we occasionally see a bird too, and I have been a parrot mm. owner and treated you know several cytokines over the years with various things, usually either aggression or compulsive feather picking. And I also treat horses. Um, actually, got into behaviour through horses. That was my first introduction. Was horses with compulsive disorders. Uh, like cribbing, um, stall yep. walking and weaving, um, and of course, then got involved a little bit in some aggression and some anxiety conditions in horses as well
2: we only we have about five minutes left of the program, but I just was wanted just sort of a short can animals and can dogs have psychological disorders like humans like are there genetic psychological orders that exist within dogs?
3: Um absolutely. Um so we've done a lot of work over the years on compulsive disorder and it's now pretty widely accepted that dogs can have um a canine version of obsessive compulsive disorder and we found um one set of genes or uh, well, one Huge gene actually. Uh, in um, 2010, we published a gene that led to susceptibility in Doberman pinches, and that's since been confirmed in another breed, the Belgian Malinois, in a Chinese study. And the same gene has now been fo- found to be, have glitches in it in humans with obsessive compulsive disorder. We have recently found another three genes that all regulate serotonin, which is intimately involved in obsessive-compulsive disorder. We're just waiting for the human geneticists to find the same thing. And we've identified autism in dogs. And of course, they get post-traumatic stress disorder and they have a genetic susceptibility to it like the soldiers do.
2: I have so many questions about all of that. Um, Unfortunately, I'd love to sort of just give my listeners a bit about how they can find you, how they can participate in the study. Um, If you could give our listeners a little bit of information on that, that'd be great.
3: Well, if you were interested as a listener in the psychological and psychiatric conditions of dogs, I will give myself a little plug. I have a book coming out, a new book coming out in uh, August the 23rd, uh, 2016. It's called Pets on the Couch. And the subtitle says it all. It's about the, you know, the psychological disturbances of animals: the um, cats with compulsive disorder, dogs with autism, horses with Tourette syndrome, and numerous other things. The new science of, you know, animal psychology. So that's coming out. You can read all about that there. Um, I have a little website called thepetdocs.com. T H E P E T D O C S dot com. And, of course, I can be found, and my bio is on the website, the Center for Canine Behavior studies.org dot org.
2: Wonderful. And people who want to participate in this study, what's the requirement for them? Do they have they have to have a dog? Could they have a cat? Um, just give a little well, to the listeners.
3: Is, this, this is the inaugural study. This is the first study. Um, there will probably be a second one about the welfare of animals in shelters, uh, which I'm Planning as we speak, but this this first one is focusing on dogs um and you know that should uh really reveal um things that we now sort of just surmise are going on um between dogs and peoples that improve or or ruin relationships between them so yeah it's I'm afraid it's sort of dog specific this time maybe more general animal oriented the next study we do uh, down the road.
2: And so the best way for them to join the study is to go to the website and click the join button. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. I mean, anyone for this particular study, anyone can join. They just, the easy way to get there is drdudman.org and they can go there. And all you have to do is be, um, an animal owner and with a dog, um, or more, you can actually register more than one dog. You have a pair of dogs or three, and you fill in the questionnaires about you, and you fill in the questionnaires about your dogs, and that that information goes into a massive storage facility, a electronic storage data system in uh, Vanderbilt University, which we can then retrieve. Um, it's totally anonymous. Uh, we do say that in the home that it should be the primary caregiver. So if there's five people in the home. Usually there's one person who spends more time with the dog. Um, They're the ones who feed it. They're the ones who take it to the vet. They're the ones who take it for walks. And that would be the person we would want to fill in the personality profile because that would be the person who would have the most influence on the dog's behavior.
2: Wonderful. Well, Dr. Dodman, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show, and what you were doing for animals all over the world is just incredible. So, I cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart and my listeners. Uh, to have you on here has just been wonderful, and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to have these conversations with us. So, thank you.
3: Well, thanks, Alexandra. I appreciate that.
2: Yeah, wonderful. So, again, ladies and gentlemen listening, Dot org is how you can find the study, you can keep up with the study Um, and again it's the Center for Canine Behavior Studies and you can Google that, you can Google Dr. Dodman one of his five wonderful books and then his new one that's about to come out as well and we will see you again on episode 13 of the Mental Sherpa Show have a wonderful rest of your day and be well be good to your animals
1: Thank you again for tuning into Metal Sherpa by Theta Spring. Host Alexandra Janelli hopes you'll join her for another edition next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we meet again, have a nice week.